Welcome, Merry Christmas to everyone. Well, welcome to week number two uh, in our series that we're calling Uncut uh, Christmas. We're kind of going behind the scenes. You know, sometimes uh, when we talk about Christmas, it, it, the story has become so familiar to us uh, that it kind of loses a little bit of its impact and it's just become very pristine and, uh, you know, ceramic figures and this sort of thing. So uh, we're kind of peeling back uh, and, and going a little bit deeper, drilling down uh, in this series. It's going to take us right up to Christmas week uh, when and we have five services uh, and a celebration of the 25th. Uh, before we do that, uh, first of all, it is Christmas sweater weekend. So thank you all that participated, both of you. And, uh, and I just want to start off by asking a question uh, just to kind of uh, see where we are in terms of are we in the Christmas spirit or not. Think just for a minute. Uh, what is your favorite Christmas song? What's, what's your favorite Christmas song? What I want you to do is uh, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to just shout it out. Not sing it. You don't have to sing it. But just shout out your favorite Christmas song on the count of three. You ready? Here we go. You got it? Okay. One, two, three. Uh, who said Dominic the donkey? That's just wrong. You got to be kidding. Come on, Dominic the donkey. And I thought over here somewhere I heard someone say, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Are you, it's the same song, it's just got different words. It's the exact same song. But uh, I have a special song, my favorite Christmas song. And uh, my, my favorite one in terms of like a Christmas carol would be Joy to the World. Uh, but my favorite Christmas song just in general, pop song or whatever, uh, would be Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. And uh, it has significant value to 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 me and to, to my wife, Susie. In fact, 30 years ago, uh, we were in college, Bible college. It was Christmas time, just like this. The only thing was, I was dating someone else and she was dating someone else. And uh, the young lady I was dating at the time played the piano and we were sitting in kind of the student union there and she was playing on the piano, have yourself a merry little Christmas. And it was just all decorated. It's like this magical moment. And I just thought, you know what? We need to share this with someone else besides just the two of us being selfish about this magical moment, you know, this, this Christmas moment. So I ran out uh, of the student union there and I, I ran, and the first couple that I saw, I said, you guys need to join us, come join us. And it was Susie and the boy she was dating at the time. And uh, we're standing around the piano and we're singing, have yourself a merry little Christmas. And we get to this point that says, through the years, we'll all, we all will be together. You know, if the Lord allows some some versions or if the fates allow. And uh, Susie and I have been together every Christmas for the last 30 years since then. How about that? So a year later, we were in love and then shortly after that, we're married. So every time that we hear that, especially the first time each Christmas season, it's kind of like we look at each other and our daughters are like, mom, dad, just stop it. Stop it right now. Uh, but but that's, that's kind of my favorite. Uh, joy to the world uh, because I think there's some incredible theology in, in that song, uh, Joy to the World. Uh, but we're going to look at today Last week we looked at uh, uh, really Joseph and, and the whole idea that God is near us. God has come to us. And we asked the question, God is with us, he is with us, but are you with him? Because there's a big difference between the fact that he came for us, but, but are we really with him? 
And that was last week. And, and if you missed that, just I encourage you to check it out on our website. Uh, but today I want to talk about following the footsteps of faith. And we're going to look at Mary's perspective on Christmas. So if you have your Valley Christian Church app, you can open that up and fill in the blanks and uh, follow along right there on your app. And it'll save that there for you. Uh, and I want to read this passage. And it's somewhat... Uh, it's probably, again, going to be a little bit familiar. So what I've chosen to do is, and you'll see this in the app, I'm going to read this from the contemporary English version, which kind of makes it very earthy, real easy to understand, and I'll unpack it a little bit uh, as we read through. But beginning in Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 26, uh, and it says, One month later, God sent the angel Gabriel to the town of Nazareth in Galilee. And goes on and it says, with a message for a virgin named Mary, she was engaged to Joseph from the family of King David. And we talked a little bit about the significance of that last week when we looked at the Joseph narrative in Matthew. And it says, uh, it goes on and says, the angel greeted Mary and said, you are truly blessed. The Lord is with you. Now think about this for just a minute. There's no mention of Mary up until this point. Nobody knows who she is. Most scholars believe she was as young as 12 years old, the oldest she possibly could be, I, I did some background study on this, was 15. That was the oldest. 12 years old to 15 years old. This, this young girl. And the angel Gabriel appeals, appears to her and says, you're truly blessed. That's not just blessed, that's truly blessed. That's like a whole nother level of blessed. The Lord is with you. And it goes on and says... Mary was confused by the angel's words and wondered what they meant. She's like, you're talking to me? What? Uh, me? I'm truly blessed? She's trying to wrap her head around just the fact that an angel appears to her and says, you're truly blessed. She, she's confused. She's like, what, what in the world does this possibly mean? The Bible goes on and it says, Then the angel told Mary, Don't be afraid. God is pleased with you, and you will have a son, and his name will be Jesus. His name will be Jesus. He says, You're going to have a son. Don't be afraid. And she had a lot to be afraid about. We talked a little bit about that last week. Because in her culture, a single woman, pregnant, her life is hanging in the balance. And, and her, she could literally be stoned to death to be found with a child, and she's not married. And so this is one of the main reasons why the angel says, uh, don't, don't be afraid. God is pleased with you, and you will have a son, and his name will be Jesus. And it goes on and says, and he will be great and be called the Son of God Most High. And the Lord God will make him king as his ancestor David was. Again, showing that, that Jesus is a direct descendant. On, on Mary's side from King David, sitting on the throne of David. It goes on and says, he will rule over the people of Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm not even married. And it goes on and says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come down to you and God's power will come over you. So your child will be called the Holy Son of God. And that's why Jesus is fully man from Mary, fully human and fully God simultaneously. And we can't wrap our heads around that, can we? How can, how can someone be totally both things simultaneously? But he was. 
And that's just another reason why I love the Bible, because nobody would have made this stuff up. You can't, you can't even comprehend it on your own. But this is God's way. And the scripture goes on and says, your relative Elizabeth, the angels continue to talk, your relative, it was actually her aunt, your relative Elizabeth is also going to have a son, even though she's old. No one thought she could ever have a baby, but in three months, she will have a son. Now, just to clarify there, it doesn't mean it was only a three-year time period that she carried the child. She was already six months pregnant at this point. And Mary didn't know it, and the angel says, Elizabeth, your aunt? who's kind of getting on up into years and there's no way she should be able to have a child, she's going to have a child and it's going to be a son. This ends up being John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin, who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. It says, but in three months she will, uh, she will have a son. It goes on and it says, nothing is impossible for God, the angel tells her. Nothing is impossible for God. And Mary said, and this is so big, and we're going to spend a lot of time on this right now. I am the Lord's servant. Let it happen as you have said. And the angel left her. Nothing is impossible for God. I am the Lord's servant. Let it happen as you have said. And the angel left her. Then it goes on in Luke chapter 1. It says that Mary went to then go visit her Aunt Elizabeth. And while Mary, when Mary comes up, Elizabeth, the baby that is in Elizabeth's tummy, begins to kick at the very presence of this child that Mary's carrying in a very early, early stage. And Elizabeth, her aunt, starts blessing her because it was somewhat miraculous that she was able, able to have a child by natural ways. Elizabeth, but she recognizes what's going on in Mary's life. And she begins to tell her, you know, this is fantastic. This is a miracle of God. And Mary breaks out into like super, just, just glorifying of Jesus Christ, glorifying God. And I want to break in there because there's something else that she says is very significant in verse 46. We drop right down. And Mary said, here it is. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of, my, of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. And we're still talking about her 2000 years later. This, this no name young lady that we, no one knew anything about. For the mighty one has done great things for me Holy is his name. One of the things that I love about Mary is this. She's the one person, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, depending on how familiar you are with the Bible. She, she's the one person that is there before the birth of Jesus, obviously, where we just broke in. She's with Jesus all the way through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension, and also she's there in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the church starts. She's the only one. We basically, if you did a timeline of Mary's life from the scripture as best we could, we could follow it, it would go along about, about 12 years old if she was that young or 15, all the way up until she's about 50 or so. And so we see this incredible snapshot uh, of what I would refer to as, as a walk of faith. That this young girl, and we see her faith beginning to build even in this encounter here with Gabriel. 
And then this secondary encounter with Elizabeth, her aunt. And so I think there's a lot that we can learn about Mary. Uh, there's just something about Mary. And, and, and I think that, that I just want to focus in on it and, and really follow in those footsteps of faith that Mary leads for us. Because here's the thing. Mary wasn't fully man and fully God. Just Jesus was. Mary was, you know what she was? Just like you and just like me. And so what that means is this. We can, we can follow in those footsteps of faith. And so I want to kind of unpack how Mary responds to this. Because I think there's some things that you and I can apply to our lives. So it's not just a story about, wow, that was great 2,000 years ago. But instead, we can realize this, this is an example that we can follow. An example of faith. The faith that Mary had. And so the first thing is this. And following Mary's footsteps of faith is this. She responded thoughtfully. She responded thoughtfully. In other words, she was listening and she's thinking. And it's pretty interesting that it says there, we just read it, Luke chapter 1, verse 29. Mary was confused by the angel's words and wondered what they meant. I often say this, Christianity is the thinking man's faith. Some people believe, oh, to be a Christian, I've got to like leave my mind at the door. I've got to check my intelligence at the door when I come in. Nothing could be further from the truth. Some of the most brilliant, absolutely brilliant minds throughout human history the last 2,000 years have been Christians. Christianity is the thinking man's game. It requires faith, and we're going to talk about that as we, we walk through this, this scenario today. But, but, but we see Mary doesn't just like all of a sudden, yeah, okay, whatever. It says she was confused. She, she's pondering. She wondered what this meant. She's like, how is this even possible? She's trying to process it. This preteen or teenage girl is trying to process what is going on. How is this even going to happen? She responded thoughtfully. See, here's the thing. Faith requires intelligence too. It's not blind faith. It requires intelligence as well. There's a, there's a kind of doubt that is a sign of a closed mind, but there's also a kind of doubt that is a sign of an open mind. Like the way I like to put it this way, there are seeking questions and there are shirking questions. There are seeking questions. They're like, I, I, I need to find out a little bit more. What about this? Because I really want to understand I really want to comprehend, and that's not a lack of faith. That's a, I'm hungry for even greater understanding. You know, I remember high school, I was not a very good student at all. I had a solid C average in high school, and I graduated with that, and that was very difficult to maintain. But then I went off to college, and I knew God had called me to be a pastor. And you know what happened, and a lot of it was because of the girl I started dating my sophomore year. But my GPA went, like, through the roof. Because I had this incredible hunger. I wanted to know more and more and more about God and about his word. And so much so, one of my, uh, my last semester in college, I think it was, it was, I had a 3.69 or something my last semester. My parents were like, marry that girl quick before she runs out on you. Because she was the valedictorian of our class. Her cumulative average was 3.96 for the five years because she had a bachelor's and an associate's degree. But, but I found this just, this question, I used to ask a lot of questions, but they're seeking questions. 
But you know, a lot of people don't have seeking questions. They have shirking questions. I was like, well, if I don't understand it, nah, it's not for me. I'm just not going to show any effort. I'm not going to get off the couch. I'm not going to read anything. I'm not going to show any uh, uh, real desire to gain any more knowledge. But, but this is not Mary at all. This is Mary. Mary had seeking questions. How can this be? How can this be? This wasn't a cop-out. She wasn't passively like, whatever. I don't get it. Forget it. I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Do you have seeking questions? Or do you have shirking questions? So some people I've talked to before and they're like, hey, listen, if you can't answer all my questions, I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to, you know, get involved with this Christianity thing. That's shirking questions really most of the time. Because there always is this element of faith that is required. But again, Christianity is the thinking man's game. Mary responded thoughtfully. Here's the second thing. Mary responded increasingly. Increasingly, she, she grew in her faith, just even in the conversation with Gabriel, we see this. Just even as he began to lay out more and more details, you begin to see her attitude begins to change. And, and so she responded increasingly. Look at it in Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm not married. She's trying to figure it out. Do you hear the seeking question? How can this happen? She's not like, how can this happen? That ain't happening. That's shirking. She's saying, how can this happen though? I'm not even married. And, and do you realize what she's saying here too? And I'm not going to do something I'm not supposed to do until I'm married. That, that's the statement that she's making. Okay, you may be an angel, but I'm not compromising. Even if an angel tells me I'm supposed to compromise, I'm not doing it. She was a, a righteous woman. She was a virtuous woman. She's like, this is just isn't going to happen. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm not married. In essence, she's saying, it doesn't all make sense to me, but I will pursue. I will ask the question, and I'm going to follow through and follow up, even what this angel is saying to me right now. I'm going to obey and then I'm going to give my heart fully. And that's what we see happens to Mary. Ultimately, faith beyond intellect and duty to engage. You know, we start with intellect and then we keep on moving a little bit farther. Faith has to engage more than just duty as well. At some point, our faith has to engage not just our mind, but our will and our emotions and our soul as well. That's how faith grows. That's how faith increases. That it's not just in our head. Faith is in our heart and it's down into our soul as well. And you can see as you look at this conversation that Mary has here, that her faith began to grow and grow, not just here, but it began to increase all the way into her heart as well. I love how the Apostle Paul, I think he probably is thinking about this, this whole scenario, the incarnation that we say in, in theology. When he says to the churches in Galatia, the region there uh, in the Roman Empire, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, he says, My dear children, for whom, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I like to refer to this passage as the Mary miracle. 
that every one of us has the potential that Mary had. Because God's desire is that Christ would be formed in each and every one of us. That the character of Jesus Christ, when I uh, receive what Christ did for me through his perfect life and his sacrificial and substitutionary death, and, and I, I ask God to forgive me of my sin, I turn from my sin, and I receive forgiveness, not because Greg's ever going to be good enough, but because Jesus was perfect. In that moment, the Bible says I'm born again. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in my life and Christ begins to be formed in my character and in your character as well. And this is what the apostle Paul is saying. He goes, my dear children for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth. He's likening his burden for the Christians in Galatia of a woman who's in childbirth. And he says, you know what I'm in pains for? You know what I can't wait to see more? You know what I'm longing for? Is to see Christ formed in a greater way in your life. See, that's the thing. When, when someone receives Christ as their Savior, we don't stay like that. He doesn't wait for us. He's not expecting us to clean ourselves up. But when we come to Jesus, he begins to change us into his character and his likeness. And our faith in him, that moment of faith and saving faith, if you want to look at it that way. Faith of a mustard seed, the Bible says. Jesus spoke of, but it begins to grow and grow and increase and increase and increase. Just as Mary responded increasingly in her faith. This is what God wants to do in you and me. The Mary miracle that Jesus Christ would be formed in each and every one of our lives. That even as we're entering into kind of this slow down this, this ending of 2016. God's desire is in 2017 that Christ's character would even be greater in your life. That, that a year from now, you would be more like Jesus and I would be more like Jesus than I am right now in this moment. That Christ would be formed in you and Christ would be formed in me. Here's the third thing that, that Mary did, this, this walk of faith that we can follow. She responded deeply. Mary responded deeply. She first responded thoughtfully and then increasingly. And then we find that she responded deeply. Not, not just uh, with her head, but it began to really go deeper down into her. Look at Luke 1, 46 and 47 as we read it. Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's asking questions at the beginning. She's confused. How can this be? And then just fast forward just a little bit when she's meeting with Elizabeth and she sees that her aunt is pregnant. There's no way at her aunt Elizabeth's age that she could be old enough to be pregnant. It's like God's doing something there. God's doing something in me. And she just kind of explodes in this glorifying worship of God. But here's the thing. It's not from her head. It's from her soul. It's from her spirit. It's from a much deeper place her faith is than where it was when the angel appeared to her. It's deeply. Do you remember that day? The gospel tells us that the Pharisees came to Jesus after he was grown and he's teaching. And they said, tell us what's the greatest of all the commandments. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
And he goes, and the second is as the first. And love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, these two laws, hang all the laws and the prophets, all the Old Testament is summed up in these two things. Look at what Mary's doing right here. Probably 30 years before Jesus ever answers that question. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. It's like her faith, that little bit of faith in that first moment with the angel had made that long distance road travel from here to here. She's not talking out of her mind. She's talking out of her heart, out of her soul, out of her spirit. She responded deeply. I'll tell you what Mary didn't do. Mary, when, uh, when the angel told her about Jesus and God's plan for Christ and the plan that God had for her life, Mary didn't say, you know, I, I think this might add value to my life. She didn't say, you know, this is just what I need to reach the goals I've set for my life. She didn't say that at all. But out of the depth of who she was, she said, I'm your servant. Let it be to me according to your will. She realized that in that moment when that angel stood before her and here with Elizabeth as well, she realized, I just discovered why I'm alive. I just discovered the purpose of why God ever gave me life. I thought I knew what my life was for. I thought I knew what my life was about, but it wasn't until I found out about Christ. It wasn't until God told me, this is what my son is going to be. This is, this is my son who you're going to, to give birth to. This is my plan for you. That's when I discovered what I'm really all about. That's what I discovered what my life really is for. In Luke chapter 1, in verse 48 and 49, it says, For he has been mindful of the humble state, Mary says, of his servant. There it is. For now all the generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. See, when you encounter God, do you know what? It doesn't puff you up. It humbles you. She says, the state of your servant, I'm a humble servant. She wasn't like, I'm Mary. Everyone's going to know who I am from now on. I'm the real deal. Not at all. Not pride and arrogance when we really encounter God. Humility. Humility instead. We're humbled when we really encounter him. You know, it, it kind of reminds me, we get so full of ourselves, don't we, sometimes? It, it kind of reminds me of the story of the, the parents, uh, the mom and dad, they, they had a little boy. He was about seven years old, and he was just so prideful. He was just so arrogant. It was really disturbing to him as parents. And they thought, there's got to be some way that we can humble this boy to just show him, you know, he's our son, but he's just, he just thinks the world revolves around him. He thinks he's the center of the universe. And, and so the father said, I've got a great idea. And maybe it was, maybe it wasn't a great idea. I said, let's take him to the Grand Canyon. Let's take him to the Grand Canyon so that, that, that he can look out on this incredible, you know, uh, natural wonder 
of the rocks and the river that, that, that cut its way through this canyon and just the immense beauty there. And maybe in that moment, as he looks into the Grand Canyon, he'll realize, you know, I'm just a tiny, tiny little thing, a speck on the planet. So they took him to the Grand Canyon and they had a guided tour and all that. And at one point they're, they're going through and the boy just was very quiet, but his eyes were just huge the whole entire trip. And then at one point they got to a point and, and the tour guide, the, the park ranger said, uh, let's get off our donkeys. They got off their donkeys and they looked down and they said, from this point all the way to the bottom, it's a mile. From this point where we're standing all the way to the bottom where the river runs through the Grand Canyon. It's a mile. And the little boy, it just seemed like all of a sudden something happened. And he looked at the park ranger. He said, you mean it's a mile from here to the bottom? He goes, yes, son, that's a mile. And it's just like he couldn't even put into words the little boy. That night they made camp. They're in tents, mom and dad in one tent and their son in another. And they thought, you know what? I think we did it. It just seems like this has changed the boy. And the father said, you know what, let's make sure, Let, let's go, while he's asleep, let's go read his journal, his diary, and see what he wrote about today. This is going to be great. They snuck into his tent, they opened it up, and they looked at the entry for that day. And do you know what that little seven-year-old boy wrote in there? Today, I spit a mile. Still always, it's all about me. He's like, today I spit a mile. I stood there, and I'm so big that I spit, and it flew a whole entire mile. So, so many of us are so full of ourselves. We think that God is there for, to meet our errands, to do our bidding. But that's not what happens here when someone really encounters God. When we really encounter God, all of a sudden it's not, what are you going to do for me, God? All of a sudden it's, what do you want me to do for you? Whatever it is, whatever the inconvenience, whatever the pain, whatever the sacrifice. And Mary had some serious pain. And you ladies that have given birth before know what I'm talking about. I'm just guessing. I haven't personally, you know. Some big sacrifice. And not only that, and later on in our series, we're going to talk about it. When Jesus is dedicated at the temple, there's a man who comes out and he prophesies. And he looks at Mary when Jesus is eight days old. And he says to her, this one will cause the rising and falling in many in Israel. And he turns to Mary and goes, and a sword is going to pierce your heart through as well. Not only the initial pain of birth, but Mary experienced incredible excruciating pain in watching what the world did to her son. But she was willing to do it all. Why? Because she really had an encounter with God. And it humbled her. And she said, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. She responded deeply. God wants to do that same miracle in your life and in my life as well. That Mary miracle that Christ would be formed in us, just like it was in Mary, just like he was in Mary. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, For God wanted them to know that the riches of the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles. Paul's writing this to the Colossians. It's not just a Jewish thing. Christianity is not just a Jewish thing. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. It doesn't mean we're God. He lives inside of us. Just, just like Mary didn't become God, but, but she was carrying God. 
Christ lives in you. That's the secret. This gives the assurance of sharing in his glory. That, that when we receive what Christ has done for us on the cross, he lives in us by his Holy Spirit. And that's how we become more and more like him, living from the inside the power of the Holy Spirit out. When we, in a deep way, respond in faith to what God wants to do in our lives and through our lives. See, Christianity is not something that's done by you. Christianity is something that's done for you. Christianity is not something that we can earn. It's not something we can work up. It's not something that we can force and we can kind of will our way through. That's not, the, that's not what the Christian faith is. Christianity is not something that's done by you or by me. It's something that Jesus did for you and that Jesus did for me as well. Think about it. Mary did, really did not give any assistance to God whatsoever. After the angel appeared to her, she didn't do anything. She didn't give him any, God any assistance, but she also didn't give God any resistance as well. She just simply said, Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. By faith, Mary responded thoughtfully, responded increasingly in her faith, responded deeply. And then the last thing is this, she responded completely. The thing that amazes me the most about Mary, that makes me feel very different than her and probably you too as well, she didn't try to cut any deals with the angel. She didn't say, okay, you know, this is really not a good time for me to be pregnant outside of wedlock with the child, with the son of God. So, so how, about, how about a few months? Could you just come back? You know, I'm just a young lady and I've got a lot of dreams. I've got, there, there's a whole lot of things that I want to do before I get married, before I become a mom. She didn't try to negotiate with God's plan for her life. She responded completely, totally. She, she surrendered willingly, not holding anything back. Look at it again, Luke chapter one, verse 38. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it happen as you have said, not as I have said. Let it happen just the way God said, not the plan that I had for my life, not the dreams that I had, not, not, not the things that I was working on. Let it happen just as you said Bottom line is this, if, if, if you and I are going to experience ongoing this miracle, just like Mary did of, of Christ being formed in us, in our character and through our lives to touch other people, to, to, to really fulfill the plan and purpose that God has, that unique plan and purpose for each and every one of us, we've got to turn our lives completely over to Jesus Christ not just for a service, not just on a Sunday, not, not, not just my private life, but you know, don't let it touch my public life. We've got to turn everything over to Jesus Christ. I remember one time hearing two questions that you can always ask yourself that will determine if you really have turned your entire life over to Jesus Christ. You ready for these? These are hard. 
Just simple yes or no answer. Just, just answer these on, on your own. And it will determine if you really have turned your entire life over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Here's the first question. Are you willing to obey anything the Bible clearly says to do, whether you like it or not? Oh, now you're meddling. <laughs> now you're meddling, Greg. Are, are you willing to obey anything the Bible clearly says to do, whether you like it or not? Let me put, whether you agree with it or not. Because if he's Lord, it's like, it's not a negotiation anymore. He's the master. And if we can say yes to that, then we're on the track of following in the footsteps of faith of Mary. Here's the second question. Are you willing to trust God in anything he sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? Are you willing to trust God in anything that he sends in your life, whether you understand it or not? Mary couldn't comprehend. She couldn't even begin to fathom what was about to happen in the next 30 to 33, 34 years of her life. But what does she say, this teenage girl? I'm your servant. Let it be to me just like you said. I don't understand it all. I, I, I'm not sure that, that, that I even like what I'm hearing. But this teenage girl fully surrendered, willingly surrendered to the plan and purpose of God for her life. I don't understand it all. I'm not sure I even like what I'm hearing, but I'm your servant. Let it be to me, just like you said. See, here's the thing. The answer to those two questions may actually be no. You may believe in Jesus, but you haven't come to that place yet. I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be to me, just like he said. I'm not sure I'm at that place all the time, but I want to be. And I'm going to be. Daily responding to Jesus Christ and the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life. One day I will be. And I'll be able to say yes to both those questions, and you will too, as we continue to willfully surrender to the Holy Spirit and his plan and purpose for our lives. Think about, uh, think about Jesus. You know, I can't help as we, as we go through this story and you hear G, uh, Mary's response, I'm your servant, let it be to me just as you said. It, it, it kind of reminds me of Jesus about 30 years later, 33 years later, when he's in the garden of Gethsemane. And he prays that prayer that we talked about last week that God doesn't even answer him. When he says, Father, if there's any other way, as he's facing the cross, let this cup pass from me. And remember what he said, no answer from God. Nevertheless, not my will, 
but yours be done. It sounded like his mama, didn't he? You know, I, I just kind of imagine, and, and don't, you know, don't, don't put this as scripture or anything, but I just kind of imagine somewhere as a young boy, Mary told her son Jesus about when the angel came that day. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, said, and you know what I told that angel, son? I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be to me. Just as you said. I, I just hear echoes of Mary in Jesus' words in the garden. Father, not my will, but yours be done. This woman of faith, just amazing as you watch and you read through the gospels on into the book of Acts. And you see this woman of really incredible faith as she grows in her faith, just like you are, just like I am as well. Think about Jesus' first miracle. When Jesus turned the water into wine at the, at the wedding in Canaan, you know he didn't want to do it. Read the Bible, it's crazy. They ran out of wine and, and, and Mary says, go talk to my son. He'd never done any miracle. They didn't even know who he was or anything. They said, go talk to my son. And Jesus like says, woman, and it's not disrespectful, by the way, in the Greek, the way that he says it. It's, it's kind of like he's like, mama, is really what he's doing. He's going, woman, why are you troubling me before my time? And then she says this words, and it's just incredible. She, she makes this statement in John chapter 2, verse 5. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She, this is 30 years down the line. She'd seen the miracle. She saw the birth. She, it was her in the manger. It was her with the shepherds and the wise men. And what she says, she knows who her son is at this point. And she says, you do whatever he tells you to do. Because it's going to end up a whole lot different and a whole lot better than you thought. I think if we could interview Mary right now, and we say, Mary, in your whole life, everything you saw, everything you experienced, how God worked through your life, how would you sum up, what would you say to those of us that are maybe even struggling with our faith right now? What would you say to us? If you could just boil it down to one statement, I think I know what Mary would say. Do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. You may not like it. You may not understand it. But you do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Because you know what? It is so much greater than you could possibly imagine. The things that he wants to do in your life and through your life. Do whatever he tells you to do. Let me end with this. I heard Pastor Craig Rochelle make this statement recently. And I think it's just like right where we are in this moment. He says, the decisions that we make today determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. The decisions we make today determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. I don't know about you, but I, I think we need to make the decision each and every one of I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do. 
I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do because you know what? I'm going to have some stories to tell tomorrow. As I make that decision, I'm, I'm your servant, Lord. Let, let it be to me according to your will. Let it, let it be just as you said it's supposed to be because I want to make the decisions today that are going to allow me to tell the stories tomorrow of your goodness and your great love. I'm going to ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this example of Mary. We thank you for this, this young girl that we can actually follow in her footsteps who, who responded so thoughtfully, that, that responded increasingly, that responded deeply and responded completely to, to your news-breaking plan for her life as you broke through and interrupted. And Father, I pray for every single person here and in the hearing of my voice right now. Father, I pray that, that for many, that our faith would go down even deeper and would grow and increase and that we would really just completely sell out and allow you to be our Lord and we're your servants. And Father, I just pray right now also for, for anyone who has not placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, even hearing how your plan began to unfold in the life of Mary, Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that we would turn from our sin receive a forgiveness that is ours through Jesus Christ's life and his death and his resurrection. And Father, we would determine today just that we would say, Lord, be my Lord. Jesus, be my Lord. And let it be in my life, whatever you want my life to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.